Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. Hey, Bud, it's going to be a review of a win today. So, fantastic. What? Yeah, I know. These are uh, a wee bit more fun to do when you get to look back at a uh, Florida State victory, a very exciting victory, as it was, and some, some things to be excited about and proud of the resiliency of this team and some of the things that they accomplished. And we'll, uh, you know, as always, we'll have an honest conversation about the good, the bad, and the disappointing, but we're not going to bury our head in the sand in a in a season that hasn't offered too many positives, and at least uh, enjoy enjoy one Saturday afternoon that uh, seemed to work out well for the for the good guys. Finally, this team got some breaks, and not undeserved breaks, but like finally, yeah, I, I think I said this in the instant reaction podcast that we do, but it finally felt that like okay, not every tip pass went up into the air into the arms of the opposing team. Right, not every fumble bounced immediately to the opponent. It was just just a game where they got some breaks and they, they let their time, their their talent shine through. They they played hard throughout. They they didn't collapse. They didn't uh, they didn't panic. You know, and look, they clearly deserve to win this game. We can talk about Steve Adazio screwing up, making a really bad decision to to, uh, to punt the ball there instead of going for it, and that's no doubt. But even not even considering that, you know, Florida State had a post game win expectancy here of like mid 80s, like 80, 85, 86%. Their expected margin of victory based on the postgame stats, 10 and a half points. That's a two-score victory over a quote-unquote ranked team. For this team, that is a huge accomplishment because we know this team, I was talking with somebody the other day, I said, man, if they get this team to a bowl with this offensive line, come on. Like that's, I'm not saying it's a miracle, but that, that's a pretty nice accomplishment given what you have to work with there. And he was like, well, Man, they just have so much talent on this team. I said, yeah, but it's like having a really nice car with no wheels, right? You can, you, you can have great great trim and, and, and the, the finest leather and, and the best sound system and, and an awesome engine. But if the, if the thing's up on blocks, there are, are streams here that, that can hurt things. And, and I got to tell you, that was a very impressive performance all the way around to come out with the win against a pretty solid Boston College team. It really was. It was, uh, you know, there's a lot for us to break down. There's a... Uh... A quarterback that uh, in the beginning of the game, I was wondering if he wasn't trying to lose the game for you and the officials in maybe second and third quarter that I wasn't sure if they were trying to lose the game for you. But it was very interesting to watch. It was great to see uh, DeAndre Francois uh, recover from about as rough of a start as you can have. Just looked looked as poor as I've ever seen him look. And um, I'm never cloak some of my frustrations with Francois, but also have to give him a lot of a lot of credit uh, when it's deserved, and certainly the performance in the second half was light years ahead of what you saw from him uh, at the beginning. But you know, there's a there's a lot of different people that we can talk about that that had a, a solid effort. Obviously, Cam Akers is going to come to mind. I thought for the most part, the offensive line kind of held it together uh, when they did start to have a meltdown, made the uh, appropriate change. So why don't we? kind of start the conversation on offense here and just give a little bit of breakdown as to what Florida State did and, and what Florida State did well on Saturday. Sure. So I, I think you're right. Francois did start out, I mean, just poorly, man. Like, like he was he was missing guys. He wasn't finishing his throws. He wasn't stepping up into the pocket. And I think that was a major annoyance for sure. Just the, the unwillingness or, or, or kind of falling away from it. And, and look, I, I get that he's used to getting hit. But Boston College wasn't getting that much pressure up the middle. Credit to the offensive line there for doing a good job against him or against them, at least initially. And I was I was kind of surprised at, at how much time he had to throw at, at times. Now, look, he still got 
got wrecked some because Boston College's ends are pretty good. But I will give the guy credit. You know, he, he stuck in there and he got better. And my mentions, if, if I go back chronologically through my timeline here on the Twitter machine, a lot of people wanted him pulled. And well, let's burn the redshirt on James Blackman. I was like, you know, look, man, if I'm James, I'm sure as, as heck not burning my redshirt to play three halves. Right to let let number two come in and uh, rearrange my my dental work. Yeah, definitely. No, I'm not. Yeah, pass. Hard pass. Not real excited to do that. <laughs> so yeah, Allen was everything that we made him out to be as well. But uh, I, I won't get too uh, ADD tonight, and we'll stay on topic at hand with the offense. Francois great as far as the second half. The second fr- uh, interception was frustrating. He was you know kind of bailing out on that. The first one was the one that was indefensible in my opinion. I'm not going to sit here and talk to you as a quarterback guru or anything, but, you know, I've, I've thrown the ball enough to know the fundamentals of the position and interception that he made in the first half. You've got the entire field to throw your wide receiver open and to throw that ball behind him in the middle of the field is, is hard to make sense of. And, and, uh, it was just a, a disappointing moment. Like we said, really rough start, but, a uh, impressive recovery that obviously culminated in the, in the past, uh, uh to Mary and Terry. It did, and that was that was awesome to see, man. Um, I know later in the show, we will actually break down that play, but just pulling up his stats here in conference, you know, they're they're not great. That's probably <laughs> probably an understatement. Quarterback rating for him, he's he's ninth in the conference in, in quarterback rating, behind Nathan Elliott of North Carolina, behind Daniel Jones of Duke, behind Bryce Perkins of Virginia, behind Ryan Willis of Virginia Tech, behind Anthony Brown of BC. Kenny Pickett of Pitt, and obviously Trevor Lawrence and Ryan Finley. You know, it's not a great year for quarterbacks in the league this year. I, mean, I think I think Trevor Lawrence is probably the best, uh, and Ryan Finley is pretty good. After that, there's a decent drop-off. I mean, uh, Eric Dungy of Syracuse is a really good runner. He's not had a very good year throwing the ball. But, man, it does seem like Francois is, is making some, some winning plays. He's also making some losing plays. There, there's no doubt. But they can get to a bowl with Francois. I'm not saying they will, but it's certainly possible that they do. With every podcast, Bud, we want to begin by thanking our friends in New Iberia, Louisiana. Louisiana Hot Sauce, the title sponsor of this here podcast. Uh, Been with us for going on four years now. Fantastic partner, fantastic product, something you and I thoroughly enjoy, and uh, people that we are fortunate to be able to partner with and work with. So, as always, uh, thank you to our listeners for the support they've given them, and thank you to Louisiana Hot Sauce for the support and leadership that they've given this podcast. Absolutely, man. A great sponsor, and uh, very much appreciate them supporting us. And, and gosh, we love how our listeners support those guys. Just all, all, all the photos on social media and, and uh, tweeting out whenever Publix or whatever fine supermarket out there has a special on the juice, and ex- excited to put it on my food and excited to, to get into this podcast. I know I know, who had me pretty excited, though. On the day, and it really wasn't the quarterback. Welcome back, Cam Akers. Yeah, it was great to see Cam uh, run the ball like that. Obviously, the one run that he had is going to stick out in everybody's mind. Where really he was fairly close to taking that all the way. Just good to see a kid who feels a little bit. It seems uh, feels a little bit more comfortable with what's being asked of him. A little bit more comfortable with the offense, and has just had a had a much better end of the season than he has the beginning. Certainly, trajectory's nice, trending in the right direction. At any point in the season, I didn't think Cam Akers was the problem. I'll put it that way. And great to be able to see what that kid can do when he has a little bit of space and he he feels confident about what he's done. I'm not writing 
his own frustrations off. Cam has, you know, struggled with ball security at a level that we would not have been able to predict and uh, is not guiltless in, in the season that he's had by any means. But great to see him in the season on a high note. And he uh, very much looked at times to be the be the best player on the field on Saturday. And that's, you know, more the more the Cam Akers that we came to know as a freshman. His last 26 carries, right? So this is, dates back to the Notre Dame game. 6.7 yards per carry. That's more like it. That'll do. I think a lot of that is is him having a willingness now to, to, to get two and get three. And I think earlier in the season, he was very frustrated for a legitimate reason, by the way, that, that he was just being totally stifled. And I think he was trying to do too much on his own at times. And that, that of course, is his fault not playing within the system. But also, a lot of that is just because Florida State doesn't block anybody quite often. But the last two games... He's run better. I think he's run with better vision, and he's he's run hard, man. Like he, he seems to be healthy. He, he seems to be coming on, and and no better time to get right than this upcoming Florida game. Uh, also, want to give credit to Jockey's Patrick. You know, Patrick ran hard in the game as well. He wasn't quite as dynamic as Cam, but uh, but he did a lot of things very well. Eight carries for twenty two yards. I feel like does not fully capture his value in this game. If you just look at that, you're like, uh, that's that's pretty bad. But he had he had some hard fought runs, man, and uh, I-, I was excited to see that. Always been a, an unabashed uh, Jacques Patrick fan myself, and his uh, contributions are are not those that are always going to show up in the the final score sheet. Wide receivers, tight ends. It was a uh, kind of a continuation of a pattern that we've seen a little bit, some some breaks in it, but we've seen a, a general little bit of a I don't know if a youth movement, but a a slight inclination to feature more of the younger wide receivers. Uh, Nooney Murray's always going to be a, a strong uh, facet of this offense when, when 12 is the quarterback. But, you know, Helton is a, a guy that's had a strong emergence, obviously had the one play where he bounced off that hit and picked up another 12 or 13 yards. But he, he was a main feature of the offense. 15 is 15. And uh, it was great to see, you know, them at least look as though uh, – 88 is is going to be a guy that they try to get the ball to a certain amount of time uh, each game, and that's a that's a kid that's special that you can really kind of build your wide receiver core around. No doubt, man. I, look, I'm not seeing much Keith Gavin out there in this game. Just just going back and watch it. Like, not only did he not give any balls to him, he didn't play that much. It looks like they're going to the guys who they can trust or they, they, they can trust Terry. It looks like they've got a lot of trust in Hilton. Obviously, Nooney Murray, they, they they trust he's going to be in the right spot. I guess. This is some encouraging stuff for the future, though, because like if you can build around Terry and Helton, and if you can build around a, a guy like Trayshawn Harrison and around DJ, you know that means you don't have to count on a guy like Gavin. Like if he can come on and, and the light ever comes on for him, awesome. But if it doesn't, you've still got a pretty nice receiving core. I think that's pretty encouraging here. Offensive line, I want to touch on real briefly. I thought they, uh, I thought they played pretty well, and honestly, I thought, that, and you may have a difference of opinion. I didn't think Williams, uh, the right tackle Williams, not left guard Williams, had a. I thought he played okay up until the point where he completely melted down. I, I thought he played much better against Allen than I would have initially projected. Yeah, and there, there's no doubt. I love Kelly, co- you know, coming back in the game after, after he got hurt. I, I thought that was that was impressive, just to to keep battling, man. Like they need him, he's staying in there. And then on the other side. Juwan Williams, this staff has worked hard to kind of get him back in a place where he can play mentally, and it seems like he was melting down again, and so, so they yanked him, they put in Brady Scott, and I thought Brady Scott did did a good job relative to, I'm, I'm not convinced Brady's a tackle, we'll see about that long term, 
but man, I, I thought he did a solid job, and, and, and it was definitely uh, definitely an upgrade over what Juwan was giving you in that game. I, I think the most important thing in this game is not like like physically they you know they were great or anything, but I do think like they blocked the right people for the most part. And Florida State schematically did a good job to help clear out the box to to help clarify what what some of their reads were with some of their formations, some of their jet motion, that type of stuff. Give them as favorable blocking angles as you can. And they've been trying to do this all year, but it just seems to be clicking now a little bit more. And you have kind of had a similar group in there the last week or so, because Minshew's been out, and I don't think Minshew will be back this week either. They were better. Like, they didn't kill you, at least not not overall. Like, it's still the, the number one weakness, but they were better, and they deserve some credit for that. Certainly. Certainly is, and I've, I uh, made one uh, – well, Williams should be a right tackle, and the other Williams should be a left guard. I flipped their positions there. But, uh, yeah, they had uh, they had one blitzer, I think, in the second uh, second series that just got a, got a run free at the quarterback. But absolutely agree with you that the assignments were, were much more sound. Didn't necessarily mean that you made a great block on everybody, but, you know, there was not the – the the whiff uh, that we've come to become kind of all too familiar with at times uh, of the effort that was given out of the offensive line and it was a uh, an effort that you could live with and it was the, the offensive line kind of the pattern of play overall this is obviously a kind of an overarching idea that I've seen not necessarily going to be perfect for every series that they play but the offensive line seems to be decent in the first half and then kind of can come back to form in the second half. And I think the change of, uh, of Jawan getting him out of there when he, when he had his moment there was instrumental in kind of keeping the consistency of the line. Again, never great play, but solid enough that you can live with. And at times, uh, Francois had a heck of a lot more time than I would have maybe anticipated him being able to operate from the pocket. Yeah, yeah there, there's no doubt about it. So got a couple questions here this week. Uh, number one, Sean wants to know, I guess I'll read it here and we can discuss it. Of course, you can send your questions to the the Nolcast at gmail.com. That's the Nolcast at gmail.com. Wanted to get your thoughts on the decision to call a screen on third and long. I asked because this seems to be constantly one of the first things the armchair offensive coordinators and Madden experts gripe about when, when they complain about Taggart's offense and the play calling. It seems to me it's relatively obvious the staff is not confident in the ability of the offensive line to hold up on an obvious passing down of third and long for the required routes to develop. And I think they'd rather get the ball into the hands of one of their playmakers and give them a shot to make something out of it rather than a pocket collapse before anything can happen. Do you think that screens on third and long will become less frequent once the offensive line issues are shored up? Or is it that a wrinkle of this offense that we should expect to see uh, and expect to work better with practice and, and better execution? It makes me want uh, to blow my brains out every time I hear people blatantly ignore our issues when they complain about stuff like this. Well, and then he says, "Keep thanks, keep up the good work. So I guess I'll, I'll let you lead off on this one. First of all, with this offense, it's not necessarily the worst thing to to have a give up play. You know, I mean, I know I know we're fresh in our minds coming off a game where we watched a, an offense seemingly pick up third and eighteen at will. But there is some real legitimacy to to maybe not shooting yourself in the foot uh, even further. At the same time, this is kind of a a staple of what you'll see from from Willie's offenses. It's a it's a play that you know, makes the defense respect that and respect other things that you may. Uh, deploy from your offense so it's not necessarily the white flag that uh, that some see it to be but at the same time uh, putting up a white flag and not catching around between the eyes is is not necessarily the worst thing either so there's a lot of things to be frustrated with there's uh, some real legitimate gripes I don't know that play calling particularly play calling on third 
third and long is uh, would be anywhere near the top half of my list. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. Look, they they don't really have the personnel to block it up very well. Um, but yeah, this is something Willie likes to do. I think for a couple reasons. Number one, if you are in a situation to potentially go for it, it'll it sets up a, a shorter fourth down. Number two, it helps you get some field position back before you punt. We know that you're more likely to, to commit a turnover in in those really high leverage situations for the defense. So I don't hate it. The other thing, it also keeps defenses honest, like like you said, for when you do decide to go for it, which I think is an interesting thing that people miss, right? If they know that you're always going to go for it and that you don't ever run the ball on third and long, or, or that you don't throw short passes ever on third and long, then they're they're gonna they're gonna play you at the sticks, right? But if you show willingness to throw that other stuff, you know Boston College actually pulled it off against FSU's defense on one of those third and longs. They they, they ran a screen and uh, and and got uh, got some decent yardage at it. It wasn't successful. They didn't convert, but you know, I think BC would would be relatively happy with the result, even though it didn't grade as successful. Madison Social and For the Table Restaurant Group have, uh, have been with us since since the inception of the Nolcast, and no better partner for us, uh, no better group of people that we've been fortunate to be able to work with, and all of all of the products and all the people that we, we work with, we authentically enjoy working with them, and, and more importantly, we authentically enjoy the product that they present to our uh, listenership. Whether it be Madso, Centrale, Township, or any of the other For the Table restaurant group, just a great representation of uh, the brand that they've helped to build, and uh, we are uh, fortunate to be able to work with them. And would remind all of you that if you're in town Thanksgiving evening and need a little bit of reprieve from the family, they will be open uh, bar only, but they will be open and willing to host the locals on a on a Thursday night getaway. I, I will not be there on on Thursday night, but uh, I will be there. Saturday morning before the game and, and, and pop in, maybe grab a little breakfast at Township. And then, you know, after the game, man, I might, might enjoy watching a couple of those great night games we have over there. If you're in town for the game, no better no better place to watch the game, but also to watch the other games, man. It, it, especially if you have a little action on those games. Uh, not that I would do that, but, you know, they're, they're, that's a great spot. A lot of TVs, awesome burgers, good wings. Great, legitimate, healthy options that they put put some thought into. And it's not just a, just an afterthought. And, uh, and and a great sponsor for us. And I know we got another question here from uh, from Kessna. Uh, Kessna writes, "Can you take a few minutes to provide a detailed breakdown of the game-winning play versus BC? There were so many things that happened in that play, and the average fan just does not see or understand. I think it, a detailed breakdown would really help people appreciate what this team is doing and how the staff is scheming around the line." Sure. So I, I think we have identified like five key things here. The number one, and I know we, we discussed this after the game, is that BC still had to respect the run. And they had to respect the short pass. And why? Because with that amount of time left, you could still do that. But more importantly, because Florida State had all three timeouts. So FSU could still call timeout and, and fully use the, utilize the run game and the short passing game. And in fact, had the previous two plays. They had used the short passing game. I don't think that Boston College thought they were going to go for a kill. And, and one of the main reasons why I don't think they did is because it looks like they're running like a, a, a trap coverage to the bottom of your screen, to, to the boundary side. If you watch it, like they're showing a, a, a too deep look. It's clearly some kind of some kind of combo coverage on the on the boundary side, which is not Terry's side. It's the bottom side of your screen. The guy in the slot carry carries the route until it's clear it's a vertical, and then he drops off, and he's trying to rob the uh, the, the, the comeback route, and the, the the curl basically that, that the receiver to the boundary is running. 
that to me tells me that Boston College was probably anticipating some type of, of shorter throw there from FSU, which which isn't surprising. Uh, but because Florida State had managed the game well as far as timeouts and whatnot, uh, and and had not had to call timeout for things like uh, not having enough men on the field for punt team or anything imagine else, which that. we've seen imagine, this imagine year. having a couple tight ends or uh, a couple timeouts to operate with. Amazing what that'll do for an offense. The the darndest thing. So Boston College had to respect that. Now, you know the thing is though, without Mister Eight Carry Twenty Two Yard Jackass Patrick, this, this play doesn't happen. It's a it's a really great point, and uh, it's not something that maybe you would recognize on the first watch, uh, and it's something that maybe not every back would recognize. It's a it's a little bit of an experienced player who, uh, well, I don't know how experienced you'd have to be to realize that you may you may need to give anybody that's trying to block Allen uh, a little bit of help. But uh, Jacques Patrick does a great job, helps out Brady Scott, and is uh, instrumental in giving this play kind of time to breathe and, and develop downfield as it needed to. It, it really is, man, because Brady Scott gets beaten, and yet Patrick, who is, is in blitz pickup, nobody blitzes, so he, he he's helping out on the edge. He quickly identifies, ah, hmm, our tackle is being beat here. <laughs> Let's make sure that we, uh, we we help out and we block here. Yeah, man, that was that was big. He was able to help out and, and, and get the block done, give Francois time. Francois steps up in the pocket and, and actually makes a throw, which is good because he didn't drift in a pocket. He knew he had some pocket to work with. The interior linemen had made their made their blocks and, and, and they, they didn't give up too much ground. And then, you know, Terry ru- runs a, a solid route. The corner doesn't get a jam on him. Basically, you have redshirt freshman corner against redshirt freshman receiver. And look, Boston College is one of these teams that does really well by redshirting kids and developing them, and, and, and they get those kind of developmental type kids. But when I see redshirt freshmen out there, if I'm BC, I'm like, oh, man, I really don't want my redshirt freshman corner on, on Tamari and Terry, even though he's also a redshirt freshman. And uh, that, that proved uh, that proved to be right because Terry, uh, you know, did a little stab, stab to the outside to give him room to work back to the inside on, on what was basically kind of a go, but you could call it a skinny post if you want. He, he does work back to the inside to give Francois plenty of room to throw the ball. And because of the coverage that BC was in, when the tight end releases on, on Terry's side, he comes out looking like he's going to run a vertical route. And so if, if you're the safety, you're reading that as, as a vert. You, you have to convert and carry that. And uh, and that means that you cannot go out and help help the corner. And by the time you realize that that the tight end is actually breaking off his route, you don't have time to, to go help, help the corner with, with Tamari and Terry because Terry's very fast. And so Francois puts the ball on the money. Because Patrick helped out and, and made his block, Boston College was caught in coverage that I don't think they wanted to be in uh, against that. But certainly they were not anticipating Florida State going deep. And uh, on the money, Terry bobbles it just a little bit, but brings it in and uh, is not tackled. And all of a sudden, bang, Florida State has the lead. Really good breakdown of a, of a play and uh, just a little bit something that if you want to go back and watch it, you can... Uh, have a little better ideas to some of the series of events that led up to it. Uh, before we switch to, to defense, but I, I do want to comment on one individual, and I'm not trying to give a backhanded compliment, and I'm not trying to be disingenuous, but Nashir Upshur, good on you, man. I'm, I'm not sure that kid was ever going to make a play that helped you win a game, and he certainly had a, a really large uh, reception there in, in kind of the series of events where you hit Nooney on the one pass and then uh, Cam ends up making a, a real nice run to get in from two or three yards out. But that's a kid that I'm not sure uh, I would have, 
you know, uh, been able to project playing super meaningful minutes uh, all that long ago. And uh, to make a nice, you know, 35, 40 yard play is uh, is not something that I would have thought you would have otherwise seen uh, seen him make. So uh, good for him. Uh, seems to have been rejuvenated by the coaching change and made a made a rather instrumental play and in, in leading to a victory. That, that, that was big, man. And that was really big because, like, look, Trey McKitty is not seen to be tracking the ball very well. Right, like, like it looks. Doesn't the ball look like he, like it sneaks up on him? Like he's not seeing it very well. It does seem like Francois loves to throw the hell out of it at him too. But yeah, Andy, he's he's been unfortunate where he's kind of had a. Uh, I don't know if he's had full blown pass interference, but he's had you know people impacting him, making some catches recently. He's he's had a little bit of bad luck, but he hadn't hadn't had a great couple of weeks either. Yeah, it's been it's been kind of weird. So it's just interesting there for sure to watch. You want to talk defense? You want to talk recruiting? What, what, what do you want to talk? Let's talk defense uh, real quickly. We'll, we'll just talk 90 seconds of special teams. One, I've watched it five times. I still don't know how Boston College doesn't block that punt. Maybe the second more frustrating special teams play is when you uh, have that one really nice kick by, I think it's the following punt, actually, where you knock it down within your five and you f- fall for a deke and aren't able to, uh, to down your own punt. And then... Um, you know, obviously the uh, BC's returner is a really good kid who has no fear of taking the ball out, you know, seven, eight yards in the end zone. And you realize why he's a good, good kick returner. Frustrating the yardage that you that you gave up uh, once you did take the lead there and certainly didn't didn't feel great with BC starting from, I don't know what they're 39 or 41 somewhere out there. So continuation of a frustration day for special teams, but uh, not something that I necessarily want to get bogged down in either. Exactly, man. All right, so defensively, I guess we'll go more quickly through this. I thought they were physical. I thought they were pretty basic for the most part, and that allowed them to play play free and easy. I, I don't buy into this idea that they were just like so much more basic than they had been in, in previous weeks. Sometimes when you stick a microphone in somebody's face, they just say something that they think you want to hear, you know. And, and I've I've experienced that a lot as a reporter. But I, I do think they were fairly basic. Like I, I didn't think they were running. A crazy amount of coverage is it? They weren't. They certainly didn't blitz a whole lot, but they were very focused on taking away the run, and that's indeed what they did. They they managed to stop the run consistently and and really all night. Really impressive. Now, granted, I think BC's running backs a, a little bit dinged up, and at times, you know, when you got a running back that big, it's almost like a it's almost like a wounded battleship or something like that. You got a real big target area, and uh, you know whether it be like the Yamoto or. Bismarck or any other obscure World War II reference I'll make in the podcast here. Still, the kid is a, a massive target, and they frequently needed three or four helmets to bring him down, and, and they were there. And they were uh, swarming around the ball uh, all day. The play that Asante Samuels makes uh, is one that particularly stands out in in the mind. But great effort by the defense. Uh, number five had a had a day to remember and absolutely brought it from, from first play to the last. But the defense... Did a great job and uh, frequently didn't let a running back get going that uh, once he does can can really cause you a lot of damage. Yeah, there, there's no doubt about it. They, they, they stopped him early. Like we said, like Florida State did not have a lot of tackles for loss in this game. Remember, I think in the preview we said, hey, count up how many tackles for zero and for one and for two and for three. And so you don't let that big guy get rolling. And then that was that was big. So, you know, just very, very impressive there on the night for those guys. You want to talk a little recruiting now? Yeah, we'll move to recruiting. So uh, I guess we should start out. Florida State had a number of visitors on campus. 
over the weekend. Uh, Evan Neal, Derek Hall, Trey Sanders, Jaden Hazelwood. Just a, a quick little recap here on those. Look, Florida State continues to impress on Neal that that uh, that he would have an excellent chance to come in and start. Uh, that you know, it's a family atmosphere. That you know, this is a great place for him. He's going to get coached up and. You know, I think with Evan, one of the important things here, like Evan's a very confident dude, and he says, you know, I, I'm not really concerned about playing time because I know I'll go in and start as a freshman anywhere. But realistically, could he start at Alabama, which I, I think is probably his favorite right now? Yes, he could, in theory. But would he start at Alabama immediately? I, I don't think so. I, I think that's less likely. If he really believes that he's going to start wherever he goes, then I don't think Florida State's much of a chance at him at all. Now, if he's just saying that to seem tough and whatnot, and you know, I, I'm not concerned about playing time, all that kind of thing, in, in his inner, you know, inner self, he's like, uh, "Well, I probably should take a look at these depth charts." Then I think Florida State has more of a shot. They still have to overcome Miami as well, where he has the big time family connection. But look, they've got him on campus now several times, and that, that's typically the key to to getting a kid to come. Ingram also want to thank Resolution Home Loans for for their great sponsorship of us this year. Resolution Home Loans is your source to get a loan if you're a Knoll. It's a Knoll-owned business. They want to take care of you. They, they want to make sure that when you find that your dream home, you're ready to fire. With the Almost Home program, you can do that. Great communication throughout the process. They, they want to walk you through it. They want to talk you through it. They want to make sure there's no false starts and that you can play up-tempo mortgage process. That's what you want to do. 844-FSU-LOAN. That's 844-FSU-LOAN. Or FSUHomeLoans.com. That's FSUHomeLoans.com. Uh, I don't think they have any real shot at Trey Sanders. I, I think it's just kind of one of the situations where, you know, him and Evan come up together and uh, look, you're not going to tell a, a kid of Trey Sanders caliber that he can't come unless he was doing something like recruiting for another school or something, which which I've got no indication that he was. And I don't, I don't, he's not committed, so I don't think he would be doing that. With Jaden Hazelwood, the, the five-star receiver, one of my favorite players in the class, decommitted from Georgia recently. A lot of people think Miami for him now. A lot of people think maybe he'll go back to Georgia. You know, Florida State has kind of quietly been there along with, with, with Auburn and Oklahoma uh, for a lot of the time. I don't think they're going to land him because they, they've not got him on campus enough times. But I think they have a better shot than maybe some people would give, give him a chance for. David Kelly has a really good relationship with the kid, obviously. That's that's important, man. And, and, and you know, they've, they, they've been working on him. They've been working on him. Some things have broken in your favor. Uh, Auburn was always going to be the school to beat if he did, in fact, decommit from UGA, which is something that we've been talking on this podcast for almost a year now. You know, I have a a decent line on the Hazelwood recruitment, and we'll probably be able to be fairly accurate with what we tell people as far as uh, how this will play out. Kelly certainly... You know, knows the Atlanta area quite well and has a lot of relationships up here. I think Florida State will will be involved in it and uh, has put themselves in a in a decent position. And uh, Auburn is maybe the season they've had and some of the things uh, going on within the within the program is, has has uh, elevated Florida State's chances with him. Yeah, it, it really has. With Derek Hall, obviously the, the linebacker out of Mississippi, uh, they, they they need linebackers in, in the worst way. I think this is his third visit to campus, so that's a positive sign. Um, and Florida State will, will, will do their end home with him. They'll see if they can, you know, they see if they can get him in the fold. Obviously, Mississippi State's having a great year on the field. Joe Moorhead is, is kind of taking over that state as Ole Miss is under probation and, and, and sanctions. So we'll, ha- we'll have to see if they can, if they can beat them out for that. Uh, but overall, the, the staff, from what I understand, feels pretty positive 
about how, how the weekend of visits uh, went, and, and they've got top targets on their board that they're going after. Also, should probably address the uh, you know Sam Howell, their quarterback commit, took an official visit to UNC over the weekend. A lot of people are kind of freaking out about this on the message boards and uh, in, in our inbox. Uh, I, I am not super worried about this. Sam Howell has liked UNC for a while. He's never really been shy about that. UNC has a situation where I, I think Larry Fedora is going to get fired. So I don't think Sam Howell is going to put his trust in his future in a situation where he's walking into where a coach is immediately on the hot seat. And you can get these message board folks saying Taggart's on the hot seat, but realistically, he's not. He's going to get at least three years, if not four. So there's a huge difference there between Fedora, who made those ridiculous comments about CTE at ACC Media Days, pretty unprompted, by the way, and then proceeded to, to have their their season where they only won like three ball games. I, I think that's just more of a courtesy visit. Howell is expected in this weekend. He's not a real raw, raw recruiter guy for you, like on Twitter and social media and blowing kids up in the DMs and, and with the phone. But when he's in person, he does a pretty good job of, of connecting with guys. It's just it's just not his personality to be like, like super raw, raw. So I think that combined with, with his visit to UNC makes people nervous. But uh, I would say that I, I am I'm not real nervous about that. I think Hal is a good player. I don't think he is a, a superstar quarterback recruit. And I'm not convinced there are many, if any, out there this year. We've talked about it before. If, if there was a hypothetical situation where you were going to have the, the in-state school get involved and make a late run at a quarterback and a quarterback a note, you couldn't have one more favorable than, than UNC and Fedora in the situation as it's played out. So, you know, certainly something that uh, – I know people have given themselves some angst and concern with over time, but I think uh, all things considered, Florida State's in a in a pretty positive situation. Again, UNC is a uh, you know there's there's a lot of things going in your favor there. Not too concerned. So from one guy that you're not too concerned to another that there's been some unfortunate news with uh, recently. If you're a Florida State fan, Bud, why don't we talk about uh, Charles Cross at this point? Mississippi offensive lineman Charles Cross has been committed to you since I think since the since the summer. Uh, he decommitted tonight. He's been visiting Mississippi State for the last three weekends. That's obviously a, a huge blow. I mean, Charles Cross is, is an excellent player at a big-time position of need. But, look, I'm, I'm on record as, as, as saying you're not going to land high-profile out-of-state kids when, when you go 5-7, and seven, or at the time, I guess, when I said it, 4-8. and eight. Now, they still, in theory, have his official visit left. But, man, it's just it's very hard to pull kids out, 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 of, out of states like that if, if you're not having a, a good year and Florida State has had a bad year and such is the result. I mean, obviously they've stayed on him. They've recruited the heck out of the kid. They have a huge position of need. You know, he's a very down-home kid, and I think it would take a lot to get him to leave home with, with the year Mississippi State is having, like I mentioned, with them and Derek Hall. We'll see if they can get him back on campus. Uh, I don't know that he's going to take that visit at this point, but we'll see. I, I, I kind of doubt it, obviously. I think he would probably stay committed if he was going to take the visit until he actually takes the visit and then go home and decide. Uh, so we, we may see a flip to Mississippi State here pretty quickly. But uh, that's a disappointing blow for Florida State. We'll have to see see where they go from here. A couple kids uh, we discussed last weekend. We'll move to uh, prospects that are coming in this weekend. Why don't we go from, from Charles Cross to Nick Cross, bud? A guy who's tweeted out that he's coming into town this weekend. 
individual that the University of Georgia has gotten more involved with recently. I know fans are a little bit concerned with that, but uh, why don't you give people's opinion of where Florida State stands with the uh, safety out of the out of the mid-Atlantic region? Yeah, Nick Cross uh, coming in on his own dime, which is pretty big. A lot of people were very concerned when he you know went on, on his own dime to, on his visit to Georgia, but if Florida State's going to be in a battle with Georgia, again, this is another out-of-state kid. Uh, they're really going to have to fight to hold on to, uh, given the season they're having. He still likes Florida State a lot, is still committed to the Seminoles, and uh, they'll, they'll try to lock him down this weekend uh, when they have some talented kids in town. Kalen Deloach is another uh, defensive prospect that's making his way, a southeastern Georgia prospect. A uh, little bit of an undersized linebacker, but a really talented prospect and somebody that uh, – has the potential to see the field uh, fairly early. Yeah, man. And I'm excited about that. And uh, he's coming in again. That's really big that they need Deloach to, uh, to to shore up his commitment. Michigan has really been been recruiting him very hard. Michigan's having a tremendous year in year three under Harbaugh after you know, a couple you know somewhat disappointing, according to some uh, seasons up there at Michigan. But this was kind of their, their show-me proof-of-concept year, and they've been having a heck of a year, especially on defense. But uh, this is a spot where Florida State – can offer rather immediate playing time. Uh, I think among the linebackers at FSU's class, Jaleel McCray just doesn't have that level of quickness that Deloach has. Deloach has that real open field trigger ability, you know, and, and the ability to play multiple spots in the defense, w- which will help him get on the field early. So I, I think that's a very good sign that he's going to come in for another visit. Uh, two other prospects are uh, Jarvis Brownlee and Malcolm Ray. Yeah, okay, so these are two kids who – I've been a huge Jarvis Brownlee fan, man, for, for a long time. Jarvis is – is a guy that I first noticed at uh, at South Florida Press tryouts. I think back in January, was tweeting about him back then. I I was like, man, this kid looks like a big time defensive back to me, and he has like no offers. But he slowly gained offers over the year. Miami offered him. He committed over the summer. Miami, if you haven't noticed, has been having kind of a down year for them, and it's year three. They they, they did beat uh, Virginia Tech. I, I think they'll probably beat Pitt this weekend, but uh, we'll see about that. Yeah, Miami is in an interesting spot. Who knows? There may be some shakeups coming on that coaching staff. And uh, Florida State is going to get him in for a visit. Not sure exactly if that's going to happen this weekend or, or the weekend after, but he's going to come in. And then Malcolm Ray is a, a guy who just, if you talk to the guys you know, high school down there, they, they love the kid, man. It just making big time splash plays, penetration every play. Like if you just pull up his huddle, he does a really good job. Obviously, that they're also recruiting you know, the, the Davis kid out, out of Wakaiba. If, if, if Clemson ends up beating him on them, you know Malcolm Ray could could be an interesting uh, alternative to, uh, to to landing Davis. So that's kind of where they stand there. And then Curtis Fan, uh, I expect him to be on campus again very soon as well. So big part of this thing after a season like this is making sure that the the, the current commits you have don't uh, don't decommit. So we'll see where they go. You know, uh, we had a question, Bud, uh, and I'll take us off track real briefly. We had a question last podcast about whether or not we'd be cheering for for Miami to win to end Virginia Tech's bowl streak or uh, Virginia Tech win just to further put Miami in a place of misery. And for about five minutes, I I found myself being a a real big Hurricane fan, uh, which is not something that I've ever experienced before. Virginia Tech had this thing painted on their field, and it was called Drive for 25, and I honestly thought that they were painting their bull streak on their field, like an official logo type thing, which would be kind of very Virginia Tech-esque to do. Fortunately, I Googled it before I started tweeting and making fun of them, and it's actually a fundraising campaign. But I uh, 
I won't shed too many tears if uh, if the rest of the season ends in a in a manner that doesn't see uh, the the people in Blacksburg being able to continue on with this bowl streak that they're so proud of. Yeah, I man, I, I gotta tell you, like like sometimes just you get some bad luck, and they've had a ton of it there in Blacksburg. Stuff is not going very well for Justin Fuente there. The dangers of social media. Evidently, Drive for Twenty Five is some type of uh, like Virginia Tech's attempt at like a Ipte type situation. So, yeah, just some some random thoughts from uh, Ingram Smith as we make our way through the podcast tonight. All right. Uh, so thank you all for listening. And uh, five stars on iTunes if you enjoyed the show. I hope to see you all at the ball game on Saturday.